right, we are back. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. Standing by is Mary Claire's, uh, excuse me, Marie Claire Arietta's, uh, the co-author, Brett Finley. Hi, Brett. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I just had a chance to chat with Marie Claire, and okay. uh, I wanted to hear your perspective, what it was like writing this book. That was super, because... Well, you know, we, we'd been doing all these experiments, realizing that early life microbes had a big influence on asthma, and I was going to these other scientific meetings that people were showing that, you know, early life affects obesity and um, food allergies, and Claire, of course, had a, was a young mother and had all these colleagues and friends of her asking about young kids, and so actually, I think it was over a beer, which Claire said, we should write a book, and so, well, oh, you know, yes. as a scientist, that's scary, because we just write papers. I mean, a book is a lot of work, it sure. seems. But it seemed to make sense, and then more we thought about it. So, well, the way it worked, actually, is I was on sabbatical in Glasgow, and I thought I was going to kind of edit it, and then Claire said, why don't you write the last chapter, the future-looking chapter? And so I did. That was very fun. And then, basically, I started the end of the book, and she started the middle, in the beginning, and we met in the middle, and we um, (laughs) edited each other's and tried to make it homogeneous, and um, it was a real team effort. It was actually a lot of fun doing it. That's great. How long did it take you to write the book? Uh, probably a little less than a year. We were pushing pretty hard because it's obviously a very topical area, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of books coming out in this area. So we wanted to get it out sooner rather than later. So, yeah. I, I shared with uh, Marie, I was in Florida, and I'm sitting at the uh, table having a cup of coffee, and I opened the Wall Street Journal, and there is this great article uh, <laughs> featuring, it's Good and Dirty, Our War Against Microbes Has Created Serious Health Problems. And I, this just was so relevant to me because, as I explained earlier, my daughter was always sick, and I was very sick as a child, and so many antibiotics went into yep. both of us. Yeah. yeah. No, I think we're suffering from a major hygiene hangover for the last 100 years where we've done a terrific job of getting rid of infectious diseases by cleaning the world up, you know, sanitation and vaccines, antibiotics, and hygiene. But I think we had no idea of the consequences of this, and now we're starting to realize, oops, we need to sort of balance it and moderate it. Um, Yes, yes. Uh, Because what you don't realize is you could have a food allergy, you get an ear infection, you take an antibiotic, and then you have another problem. Yeah, well, if you've already got a food allergy, I mean, food allergies are basically because your immune system really wasn't trained um, early in life. And the more worrisome is you're a, a little kid and you have an ear infection while your immune system is still developing, that will put you more at risk for developing allergies later in life mm-hmm. or asthma or obesity. So it's especially early in life, there's this critical window where your microbes are talking to your immune system and letting it develop normally. And if you upset your microbes in that critical window, it, it's much more detrimental than later in life. Yes. Could you talk about, you wrote a section, uh, Antibiotics During Birth? Or is that yeah um, yeah that's okay. that's that's I mean that's that's a big issue. So for example, if you have a C-section, they of course want to give you antibiotics to avoid um, avoid you know potential um, surgical infections and things. So you know the ideally you can wait till the kid is delivered before you take antibiotics. It'll still affect you know the breast milk and other things. But mm-hmm. and the other major concern is there's this really nasty germ called group B streptococcus or group B strep, and some women carry it in the vagina, and Mm -hmm. and not very often, but sometimes it can cause a very, very serious infection. So, you know, currently test women, and they, you know, have previously been treating every woman that carried it with large-dose antibiotics before the child is born, 
And so we're all sort of struggling now what to do with that because it's a remote chance you'll get infected. Um, but, you know, the antibiotics, so the question is, you know, it's a risk-benefit type thing. So then in the book we also discuss some things you can do if you have to take antibiotics for whatever reason because we're not saying don't take antibiotics. I mean, uh, there was a saying I just read last night, you know, no one's ever died from taking antibiotics, but a lot of people died from not taking antibiotics. Yes, yes. Um, so, but they, but they're, they're not risk-free, and I think, up until now, we assumed they were all harmless and realized that, no, they actually do have this sort of long-term consequences, so you have to balance it. But, you know, if the kid definitely has a bacterial infection, then antibiotics would treat it by all means, but then you can consider probiotics and diet and other ways of trying to get their microbes back a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I love your section on dogs because I always think, oh, you know, is it really safe <laughs> yeah. to have a big dog around an infant? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's, I think that's surprising because everyone, you know, I mean, it used to be that they say stay away from dogs if they have allergies because they're full of allergens. But what mm-hmm. all the studies show is that having a dog in the house decreases the rate of asthma and allergies. And it's thought because, you know, a dog is a dog that comes in and slobbers all over the kid and um, brings in all, all the dirt it's rolled in. And, and for the cat lovers out there, I'm just sorry. Cats are cats. They don't interface so much with the kids. There's no data either way. Cats are not good or bad. They just don't show up when you look at the epidemiological factors. But dogs, yeah, they're busy hauling microbes like crazy in from the outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, you talk about IBS. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, that's called irritable bowel syndrome, and that's a, that's a tricky one because there's a lot of thought that, I mean, you can't find any infectious agents to it. Obviously, your, your bowel is irritated, but there's a lot of thought that it that it has something to do with the the brain talking to your gut, and often it's treated with, um, you know, drugs that modify, you know, um, the brain activity rather than the gut activity because there is no, you know, you can't, you can't find anything sort of infectious or inflammatory in the gut. So that's where this whole gut-brain axis comes in, which is just a fascinating area of science just exploding now that microbes actually talk to the brain. And we realize, we've known for a long time, you know, the, the brain influences gut motility. And, you know, you know this every time you peer over a cliff and you get butterflies in your stomach or you've got to give a yeah. talk and you're nervous. That's your brain talking to your gut. But what we're now realizing the last few years is that there's a lot of activity going the other way, too, and these microbes can make um, neurotransmitters and they can affect the immune system, which affects the brain. And there's some stunning experiments done with, like, depression and anxiety and stress. You can actually do a fecal transfer in a mouse from a depressed mouse into a normal one, and you will transfer the depression just by moving the microbes. And there's many studies coming out now saying that the more antibiotics you take in your life, the higher your depression rates. Um, but antifungals and antivirals don't affect it. So there, there's all these correlations. We haven't sorted it out yet. It's a really a fast-moving field right now. We don't have the final answers, but mm-hmm. given the, the, the gut-brain connection, that, that's why irritable bowel syndrome is up there because, you know, that we think it might be gut. You know, we know the microbes are different in IBS patients, yes. but it could be just because they have an irritable bowel, so that screws up the microbes. We don't know that, but, you know, that, so, so they're, they're looking into it, but we don't have any firm answers yet. The first time I heard about this whole fecal transfer was uh, at the Health <laughs> Expo. Dr. Perlmutter spoke about it, and then he came on my right. show. And I was blown away. I thought, you're kidding. I mean, you transfer one to another, and the person that was sick or yep. somebody had MS, and they showed him walking down a hallway over time, and it, he was improving, right. and it was right. so fascinating. Well, I mean, it's actually been around. Um, the, the, the ancient Chinese were actually using it sometimes. They used what they called yellow water oh. um, to treat various things, and it's actually been around um, 
uh, for 30 or 40 years, off and on a few, I don't know, I don't want to call them fringe physicians, but physicians <laughs> that, yeah. that were doing this. I mean, yes, the concept is extremely gross, but once you, I mean, it, it, it really proved it works for, for an infection caused by something called Clostridium difficile or C. diff. Mm-hmm. And if, let's say, you're an older person you're going in to get your hip replaced, so the surgeon will fill you up with antibiotics so that he um, doesn't have to worry about you getting an infection yes. from his surgery. Well, it turns out that just carpet bombs the normal microbes there. It kills all the microbes. And then this C. diff um, basically has a heyday because the competition isn't there, and it, it, oh. just, it just jumps in. And this could be a life-threatening disease, and many people die of this disease. And so antibiotic caused it. So you treat it with antibiotics, which doesn't work very well, maybe 20% or so. But then they did this beautiful study showing that if you're using a fecal transfer, you have a 95% plus cure rate, which is just stunning by, by fecal transfer. Mm-hmm. So that really put it on the map that says medically transferring your, your fecal contents can actually do something. We'd be doing experimentally in animals for a while. And um, I think the, the, the caution to remember is that each of us has different microbes. So the real issue now is, you know, who is a good donor? What, what, what are the good bugs, you know? Um, so, of course, they're trying it in things like um, inflammatory bowel disease and autism and all these other things. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And I think that's because we don't know what the good bugs are versus the ones aren't. Right. And the other thing I will say strongly is that do not do this yourself. It is not a DIY thing. It's oh. all over the web. They say all it takes is a blender. Oh. You know, if you perforate your gut, you will die of oh. sepsis. Um, <laughs> so don't do it yourself. But it, it's showing um, a fair bit of promise. And I think as we get smarter about, you know, the, you know, like they're doing it in IBD and they find some donors work and some don't. Mm-hmm. So the question comes, what do the donors that work have that the ones don't don't have kind of thing? And I think yeah. that will really help a lot. I remember hearing about somebody that didn't have, uh, I think maybe he had ADHD, and then they did this, and he, he was just so focused and, you know, doing so well and thriving. Yeah, and there's, I mean, we discussed this in the book, too, with autism and other brains. So, so there's, 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 as I say, there's smoking guns there. It's not proof, and there could be any number of reasons that that kid got better. But, you know, I think there's, there's, I think there's enough of these stories out there that they're now actually starting to take this seriously and do, you know, nice controlled double-blind placebo-type clinical trials um, towards these um, brain-type um, issues to see whether there is truly anything there that holds up under strong medical-type, um, you know, Western medicine-type parameters. Mm-hmm. I liked your chapter, Asthma and Allergies, Microbes Keep Us Breathing Easy. Yeah. Well, well, that's that. We really enjoyed that because that's very that's what we do. I mean, Claire was a postdoc in my lab while writing this book, and mm-hmm. basically we were working on this. We had shown in mice that that antibiotics can really change the asthma outcome. So then we wanted to see if it held true in kids. So then we had a had a big study with with children, thirty five hundred kids across the country, and we were basically looking at their feces at three months of age, one year of age, and what Claire showed is that basically. There's four microbes in the feces of three-month-old kids that if you had these microbes, you basically have very little risk of getting asthma, and all the kids that are at high risk for asthma didn't have these. And then we showed they actually suppressed asthma in the mouse model. So that really got a lot of attention worldwide, the fact that three-month-old microbes in your feces can affect a disease in the lungs that happens at age four to five. is just, are you kidding me? You know, what are we talking about? Right. 
So, so it's been very interesting in that sense, but it's turning up true. And, you know, Claire and I have now been working with a, a, um, another kid cohort in Ecuador. We're finding the same things, but different microbes are responsible. But that makes sense because they have very different microbes in rural Ecuador compared to, you know, modern Canada. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a really exciting area. We're not going to be able to treat asthma. What we showed in adult mice is that it's too late. But what we should be able to do is prevent it. And, you know, there's 300 million kids around the world that have asthma. It's, it's a huge, it's a leading cause of emergency room admissions for, for pediatric wards in, in the states and Canada. So, Unbelievable. so, yeah, in theory, when your kid is born, you can then look at their microbes. You say, oh, you're kind of missing these things, and you actually need to take this probiotic 2.0 that contains all these microbes. And in theory, you know, your kid should have less chance. I mean, that's kind of where the world is headed. Yes. That's where we want it to head anyway. Yeah. I do take probiotics, and so do my kids. Uh, what is, I know we have to wrap soon, but what are second-generation probiotics? Well, I guess, you know, up until now, probiotics mainly, mainly being lactobacillus and bifidobacter, and they try these and all sorts of things. I think the next generation will be a mixture of microbes that are designed specifically to have a certain purpose, like those four asthma bugs we found, for example. And so I think there'll be a mix of bugs, not just single ones, and I think there'll be microbes that are normally found, say, in the gut if you're putting them back in the gut, mm-hmm. or proven benefits, say, in, you know, brain-type functions. Because right now it's really hit and miss. And on the website, we actually have a list of, of all the clinical trials for all the probiotics that have worked in, in standard clinical trial settings, which can really help guide your listeners to which probiotics they should take for what, because they're, they're not regulated like drugs, so, so there's all sorts of stuff out there, and it's really hard to figure out which ones really work. Of course. Could you throw out your website, Brett? Yeah, it's letthemeatdirt.com, all one word. Um, there's all sorts of interesting information there. We put all the articles like that Wall Street Journal up on there, and there's oh, a bunch of videos and things. So it's designed to be a resource for parents if they want to learn more. There's a bunch of how-tos and to-dos and don't type things on there, too. Fantastic. Thank you so much for calling into the show. My pleasure, Janine. Wonderful Thanks. book. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. That was Brett Finley calling in. He's a professor of microbiology at the University of British Columbia and a world leader of how bacterial infections work. If you missed any part of this segment, it will be up on my show blog within an hour after I wrap. And uh, that blog is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. I'm going to take a little break, and then we come back. Author Ken Woodward is joining me to talk about his book, Getting Religion. You're listening to KUCI. 88.9 88.9 FM in Irvine. Fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. And Peter Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1.